Hey, Sunnysiders uh, and friends, it's good to come to you via the podcast once more with Pastor Susan. Hi, Pastor Susan. Hi, Pastor Joel, and hi, Sunnyside. Glad to be with you again and to share these questions and percolations and responses for the podcast. This has been so fun, uh, and I'm looking forward. We've got some good questions uh, today, um, and I guess we'll just get right into it. Let's start with question one. Um, Sounds great. Question one, uh, the first question is, is there symbolism to a donkey and to the palms or to the gate where he entered, was a donkey a good ride? Why doesn't, why didn't he just walk? Why lay down palms? Mm. So fun to think about, especially right as we're on top of, and just coming through uh, Palm Sunday, right? Um, that's a really fun part of this to think about. One of the things I love about Palm Sunday is imagining and thinking about the donkey because I have some really funny memories of donkeys from my childhood. Um, maybe maybe you, you who are listening do, or Pastor Joel maybe do as well. Um, but donkeys are just such curious animals, right? So it's a great question to think, why a donkey and to the palms? Um, and the donkey, I think, is just a fun one because especially to that, we can say, yes, there is symbolism and it is actually a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy from the book of Zechariah in the ninth chapter, where that where it reads, lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the, the, the coal, coal of a donkey. And when we look at each of the gospel writers who tell the story of Palm Sunday, it's the gospel of Matthew who reminds us of the donkey. Each of them talk about um, Jesus' procession and in, in his procession on, on either a colt or a donkey. And Matthew is when he reminds us of the donkey. And I think it's just a great reminder because I think as the crowd passed on this exciting story of Jesus entering Jerusalem, they would have also been passing along the fulfillment and reminding one another, I think, of the fulfillment of this prophecy. Hey, this is another indication, another sign of how Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. He is the Messiah. This this is him. This is this is who we've been waiting for to deliver us. And so it would have just built the enthusiasm and the hope that would have been, I can just imagine it so palpably in the crowd. Yeah, it's it's so cool to imagine that and to imagine the the donkey. The only experience I had with donkeys um, growing up sort of more in the city is I got to play a donkey for Christmas pageant one year. Uh, and I was a really annoying donkey because I thought I was the star and I was taking away from <laughs> Mary and Joseph and Jesus by eating the straw. Um, but uh, I, I do think um, one of the things I, I can't remember if you noted this in your sermon on Sunday, but that there was there was another parade going on at the same time as Jesus parade. And it was more Roman militarism, um, whereas Jesus parade was one that was focused on something very different. I was um, listening to a sermon just earlier this week uh, that made that case and made the argument that when we advocate for peace, we can't do so using the tools of Rome. Um, and I think that Jesus really uh, personifies this by coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. He's not using the stallion that Rome would use. He's not bringing armies and swordsmen and um, you know big shield and whatnot. He's coming on a humble animal. Like, and I think that that's a really important point to the donkey as well. 
Yeah, I agree. And I do think too, that it's just as you pointed out. And yeah, I often think that, that, you know, it is this important contrast that's set up that Jesus enters really through the back door. He enters through the humble Jerusalem, whereas um, Pontius Pilate is, is entering town and coming to town and really wanting to show off his power and glamour and prestige. And so these two simultaneous processions are happening in Jerusalem. And, and I think probably most of the people would have been aware of them happening simultaneously. One, uh, the show of power and might with swords and leather. Um, I, I actually imagine a little bit like if you, if, if any of you listeners have seen the movie Aladdin from the different um, uh, people who are courting the, um, gosh, I forget her name, but the, the Jasmine, the, from the people who are courting Jasmine, you know, they come and they want to have animals and servants and splendor and, and all their, they want to show off all their majesty. And that's just how um, Pilate would have been entering. And, and Jesus entering on the other side of town is very, very strong contrast and really helps to draw the, um, the attention to the humility and the modesty and the just this organic kind of communal nature that Jesus was, you know, was just such part of who, who he was um, on, on this earth. Um, I also just have to say for the record, donkeys are terrible rides. <laughs> it's funny that this was a, a prophecy and a, and a prediction that this would be the animal because my experience riding a donkey is from as a child in the Grand Canyon. They're really sturdy rides and they're chosen because they can, you know, go long distances and get across, um, get, a, get across rocks and, and, and get through difficult places, but they are, you know, not easy to maneuver or manage and they're not fun to ride at all. I wonder if that's like in some ways a parable for following Jesus. Like, not that following Jesus isn't fun, but that there's a, a sturdiness and an endurance to it more than there's like, a, it, it may not be the most comfortable ride, but you're going to get through hard times safely mm. um, in a manner of speaking. Mm. Pastor Joel, that'll preach. <laughs> well, thank you for the, the 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 good content there. There's there's another part to this um, this question about laying down palms, and I, I remembered that there there's one of the gospels where the palms aren't even mentioned, and it's always awkward doing Palm Sunday when that's like the lectionary passage. And I'm glad to see that in Matthew the palms were mentioned in uh, chapter 21, verse eight, where it talks about cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. And uh, I was I was looking this up to make sure that I had the information correct. And palm branches, it, it, I remembered being used as like symbols both of victory and of peace. And uh, some people would say that they were used also in King David's time to honor royalty, which has a nice tie-in to Jesus as the son of David. Um, and then, of course, there's the cloaks as well that they throw to show like honor and laud uh, in, in, in those ways. Um, but that's that's all that I could kind of remember and dig up about the palms that they're a symbol of peace and victory. Yep, same, same. And yeah, I I, I like that connection to King David, and it, you know, makes sense just in a really practical way that in a time period without air conditioning, that would be one way that they were committed to help keeping people the royalty cool, right, and um, helping to fan them. And I think it was part of the comfort that um, to celebrate and to provide comfort. Yeah, so interesting, interesting thoughts and good questions. I'm so grateful someone 
put it to pen and brought it to us for, for our discussion. Um, our next questions come from a listener named B. And her first question says, how is Jesus God in human form? If Jesus is about serving others and God seems to want to be served, aren't these different qualities? So then how is it the same God? Good point. Um, it really makes me aware of the fact that, you know, we talk about these differences um, in Jesus and the different in the qualities of God and the Trinity is one of the most complicated, mysterious parts of our faith that um, just boggles my mind. And so it's, I, I appreciate the reminder to hear the distinctives and the mm -hmm. distinctions in the, in the Trinity and the character of God. And um, I don't know, I remember from seminary, you know, the, the, the discussion about Trinity is three persons, one God. And I think about uh, our director of Christian formation explaining the Trinity to Bible journey kids on the blackboard one day saying one plus one plus one equals one. And one of the Bible journey kids saying, um, Miss Kate, that math is wrong, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> which I just think is fantastic. But all, all the parts of that are, um, which is to say, you know, Yes, Jesus definitely models and lives and shows us about serving others. And we do oftentimes hear and think about the nature of the God, of God, uh, of the Godhead being worshipped and the God um, of the Godhead, you know, the Lordship character having power. And so those are very different. Mm -hmm. um, and so how are they the same? Well, I don't know. I guess exactly how they are. Maybe the answer is they aren't the same. It is one God. And these are two parts that are indeed different, hmm. um, but the same God. What, what do you think, Pastor Joel? I was, when, when you were reading this question, I was thinking about the relationship I have with my, with my wife um, and about how I want both to serve her. And I also want, her to want to do the things that I love too. Like there, there's a, a mutual self-giving that mm. happens. Mm -hmm. And and this happens with friendships too, where like a good friend is not going to read your mind. Like that's not healthy, but a good friend will be able to pick up sometimes on your moods and like, ask like, how are you doing? What's going on? And, and in, a, in a good friendship, there's going to be a give and a take, a push and a pull. There's going to be a, a part of it that's about serving others and a part of it that's about being served. Because if you're always just serving your friends, well, that's not a, that's not a mutual relationship. That's like just giving, giving, giving and getting nothing in return. And so I, I wonder if um, Jesus is a way for God to name the depth of God's love for us in human form. Um, because, you know, God, God names this love in so many other ways through creation. Creation didn't need to be beautiful. God didn't have to make color, um, but God wanted to. God didn't need to make food taste good, but God wanted to. And these are ways that I think God is all about serving others and serving humankind. But we don't always name that as ways that God does sort of self-give and self-offer. And so Jesus, when we talk about Jesus, I think being the word made flesh, this is these are the words, I love you, taking on human flesh for God to show human beings how deeply God cares about them. Um, and I think like in any relationship, 
God would love a, a sort of mutuality to that relationship. And there's a limit, I think, to how much we as human beings can be mutual partners with the God who is wholly other and very different from, from who we are. Uh, but I, I, I do think that you find these different qualities um, in both sides of a relationship kind of all the time, um, even, even if they seem kind of paradoxical or kind of contradictory. Um, the next question here is uh, also from B. Uh, it's a set of two questions that I think get at serving God. Uh, it, they're the questions, why do we need to worship God to show we are followers of God? And then the B part of it, how other than going to church can we worship and show our love to God? I love this question. Um, yeah, yeah I go love for it too. It's Susan. just that it's so um, it's into the into the daily, right? I love that it's this is the really the nuts and bolts of what it's about to be in relationship with God and to profess faith in God and um, to be a part of our community, right? Um, so and you know, I think. I think ultimately, why do we need to worship God? I, I think worship is a gift to us. And so we worship God um, in part as a gift because it's joyful and joy, joyful um, and brings forth a joy in the life of the community. Um, ultimately, I think we worship God uh, um, just uh, out of wonder and amazement and again recognizing that god is is wholly other and so the opportunity to worship is to, to is to recognize that difference between us and god and to be reminded of that and um, and you know god calls us to you know in in sabbath to to gather as a community and to worship as a community i think in large part that it's like god organizes it like this um again as a gift for the followers of God to, as a time for us to be reminded that we are the beloved of God uh, and the, to set us apart and to say, you are my people. And after six days of work, there's a day of rest and worship and a day to remember and celebrate the character of God. And so I, I think it's a gift. Ultimately. And then how, how, other than going to church, can we worship and show our love for God? Oh, wow. There's so, so many, so many ways to respond to that and to, and to think about it. Ultimately, I think it's in our life and our breath and our very being. Um, I'm, I'm curious, Pastor Joel, to hear your thoughts. Mm. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite, like fun language facts is uh, the etymology of worship. And it comes from, you know, like fellowship has like that, that ship and like, just like worship does. And worth worship comes from worth ship. Mm -hmm. um, like how much is something worth? And um, just like fellowship is what you do with your fellows. Um, Worthship is what you do when something has deep, deep worth. I remember uh, the first time that I went to see a concert at the county fair. Uh, it was uh, uh, with with the youth group I was a part of, and I didn't really even know the person who was playing. It was, um, you know, a, a contemporary Christian musician. Uh, but I remember being in that place and thinking, this is so cool to be with a bunch of people and all kind of 
be directed in a, in a certain way all say that like this is worth doing to go in like this was sort of desert of northern california and so it's not a nice california day it's like triple digits and dry and like gross um so but we were all outside because this was worth doing and i think that worship uh, we worship god because god is worth spending time with, uh, because God deeply loves us. And so uh, worshiping God is really just saying God's worth it. Um, and the, which leads, I think, really nicely into the the, the second question. There's a whole variety of ways that we can worship and, and, and show our love to God. And one, um, one way in particular that strikes me um, that, that we do in worship is, is we all, we, we remember the people who are around us in worship when we're at a church service, for example. And we remember that this relationship we have is not just Jesus and me. Uh, it, it is Jesus and me, but it's way more than just that. It's this entire body of Christ um, that is gathered together. And so one way that we worship and show our love for God is actually by showing our love for our fellow human beings and making sure that even the folks who rub us the wrong way, that we say, hey, God loves you. And so I will commit to doing so too. Um, and there's a variety of ways you can do that, whether that's um, overlooking somebody who was rude to you, whether that's making sure that you are contributing to Hope Ministries, uh, which I think, you know, Pastor Susan, you and several others toured earlier today. We're recording this on a, a Tuesday evening uh, before it comes out on Wednesday. But there's there's a variety of things that we can do with feeding the hungry, with caring for those who are in need, the sicker and present, um, that show our love to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about, um, you know, Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do unto me. And that is, you know, how, however we love, right? However we can most love our neighbor. Um, it is loving, loving God to love our neighbor well. Um, and we did, yes, go to Hope Ministries today and had a, a really interesting tour. And, you know, they're so committed to building relationships and networks of support and communities of support so that each individual who comes into their transitional housing doesn't have only safety in the physical environment and tools to succeed, but they really want to develop relationships because they believe that's, um, you know, the model that God has given us um, to, to really not only grow, but to thrive. And so they... And, but I, you know, I see, I think in, in all of their actions and as we in, interact and are able to be a part of it, that is a form of loving God in our, as we're caring for our neighbors and, um, and really seeing the beauty of the divine image in each human being. I think there are, uh, this, this question is the reason that church exists is mm-hmm. how can we worship and show our love to God mm-hmm. when the church is being what the church is called to be, it's doing stuff like finding community partners, such as hope ministries that we can throw our weight and support behind because they're showing people love in very concrete ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's, there's a whole variety of programs and events that I know that Sunnyside helps to support and, and, you know, the furthers in the community. 
um, in part, not, not because like these are just nice things to do, but because of the, we believe in something like the gospel <laughs> and, mm. and we believe that not only human beings, but God is, is worth this time and this energy. Mm. So I, I'm just, I'm tickled by this question. I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a fun one for sure. We move on to our next question. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, all right. Question or final question um, of this session is, uh, I love the title of this actually becomes uh, with an introduction that says, let's try again. Uh, and it's just such a great reminder that, as, and as I read it, I thought, uh-oh, I don't think I answered it last time. And then I read the question and I thought I did not, because this is just one of those questions that I think it is a question that I will wrestle with up until my very last breath because um, there are scriptural evidences that point, I think, in multiple directions. And it's one of those places where I think scripture is, as one of my Sunday teachers would say, you have to see the whole of scripture in conversation with each other and, and hear how the conversation reads the whole text. And um, so let me get to the question. Enough of that preamble. <laughs> so the question says, yes or no, did Judas have a choice? If yes, and he chose not to betray Jesus, who then? As stated in the Bible, it was God's plan for Jesus to be betrayed. So no if, and, or but. And if no, then what happens to free will? Also, if Judas had no choice per God's election predestination as firmly stated by God, then why do we persecute Judas for doing what God had ordained for him? The Bible's full of predestination events for a host of biblical figures. So confused, just asking, I'm chosen by God. Thanks be to God. Judas is used as an example for many people God used through the Bible. So thanks for considering my question. It's been in my heart and in my study for a long time. I echo that sentiment. Uh, and, and so they conclude this by saying one chosen, two election, three predestination, four or free will, or a fifth possibility of all four. But still, how do I know when or if I have free will? Please know my faith is strong. My trust in God in all things that and I trust in God in all things at all times. Why? Because it's God's plan for me at that moment or because it's my free will to do so. God bless. So um, a really heady, hearty academic question. Um, that I think, you know, denominations, um, incredible thinkers and theologians, philosophers have debated these and landed on different sides of this, this equation, right? And um, all throughout our history. There's um there's one of the things in our uh, foundations of Presbyterian polity talks about mutual forbearance, that there are things about which people of good faith can disagree uh, and and really you know just like you said very thoughtful people on multiple sides of this issue have come to different conclusions about it and they all use scripture which is frustrating <laughs> it seems like you know scripture should come you know have sort of one idea here but i do think it's important to define our terms a little bit um, and and i'd like to try to do that briefly um oftentimes i know that i will use 
election as sort of like the the broadest brush that um election there is there we are we are elected to to serve we are you know uh, elected as god's chosen people we're also elected uh, uh in ordination like god sometimes elects us to to places of service in that regard so i think that election is sort of like a a, a bigger umbrella that predestination falls under and predestination i would use mo- more just to talk about okay where are we going after we die and has god predestined that um has god chosen that before we've done anything good or bad necessarily um and then chosen i, I would usually use as a synonym for predestination in the positive sense and then free will i think that we kind of understand human agency um, but i just want to like since those were four terms that our questioner uh, uh used i think that they're uh, they're good to start with just so that we all are operating on the same playing field. Yeah. I think it's um, useful also to say language for um, things like chosen and election. A lot of this language comes from the book of Ephesians. So there's scriptural language um, that picks these words up, which is where in a lot of this, um, I think started around the time of the Reformation and John Calvin, who was, um, beautifully committed to the scriptures and um, also beautifully committed to a, a, a kind of a complete complete and clear-minded uh, approach to understand all of the scriptures. And, um, and, and he is the one, I think, who is most well known for his discussions on predestination being chosen and the, and the elect of God's people. Yeah, no, I think that's when when we have questions about this sort of thing. Calvin is is the father of some of the the modern reformed thinking on this, and um, the 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 party line, if you will, and and no Presbyterian is forced to take the party line. That's the that's the beautiful thing. That's why I wanted to lead with mutual forbearance. Um, but the party line is that um, we we. Uh, affirm both human agency and the sovereignty of God, and we give pride of place to God's sovereignty, um, both in Ephesians, as you said, Pastor Susan, and also in in Romans, there's a large section where Paul discusses what do we do with this idea of sovereignty. And, and as he kind of leads into it, um, he, he starts in Romans 8 talking about um, those who God foreknew, God also predestined to be conformed to the image of God's son. And those whom he predestined, God also called. Those who God called, God also justified. And those who God justified, God also glorified. You can find that in Romans 8, 29 and 30. Um, and then like before getting into the whole question of predestination, which he takes up in Romans 9, 10, and 11, um, and in, in particular, he's talking about predestination and the election of Israel and and, and the Gentiles, he, he kind of breaks out into this doxology. It's this really beautiful ending to Romans 8, where uh, Romans 8 ends with, um, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor things present nor things to come nor power nor height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. And I think that we can certainly talk through some of the academic arguments for this, but I want to just make sure that the gravity, the weight that we put mm-hmm. down is on that piece, because that seemed to be front and center in Paul's mind uh, as we have sort of a scriptural understanding of these concepts before he gets into looking at at, you know, getting into the weeds and looking at how does this actually play out? Is it grounds itself in God's love? Mm. 
Yeah, and the beauty of the narrative of God's love and it's thing, you know, Zephaniah says God sings over us in love with love. Uh, and I I think that's kind of ultimately that when I think about being chosen or being elect, I, I think about that is the beauty of God saying, I choose you. And in our reform tradition, that um, understanding that it's God who makes the first move and takes the first move of initiation. So therefore God says, I choose you. And then the question is how, what type of agency do we have in response, right? So predestination might move towards saying, well, the um, those who are predestined will have the ability to respond um, in a favorable way or not. Um, the, uh, and, uh, but uh, honestly, I think I kind of get stuck at the very first point that I, I, I think God sings the song of love to God's beloved. And I think that's our song to sing and to tell and our story to tell. And we are called to be witness witnesses to this joy and this gift. And when it gets to matters of who can do what or what kind of choice do I really have? Um, I just, who am I to judge another human's heart? I need to leave those matters to God. And the part that feels most resonant, most true um, to me that I feel responsibility to um, to profess and to, to be faithful to is to, to share and to sing the song of God's love and um, to trust that we are God's people. This is God's world and it will work out as it works out in God's hands. I love that way of putting it, Pastor Susan. Um, thank you for that Zephaniah quote, the God who sings over us. Um, I think that, you know, you, you, if, if you pigeonhole me into saying one or the other, I would say, yeah, absolutely. Judas had a choice, you know, despite mm -hmm. my commitment to God's election, I would say absolutely. Mm -hmm. Judas did have a choice and in every single universe, I don't know if you're like I've I've quoted Marvel before in in sermons. I don't know if you're a huge Marvel fan, but um, I I do know that they're going like in a weird multiverse direction right now. And I would say in every multiverse, Judas would have made the same choice because that's the character of of who Judas was. Um, and and God also <laughs> it made the election there. Um, uh, but, but I would say yes. Um, and then to the questioner's question, there is no choice not to betray Jesus because that's the choice that Judas would always make. And when I start doing that, like my brain begins to like, you know, error, <laughs> it, it, it starts throwing, throwing those errors. Um, because it doesn't, I, I can't find myself outside of time in that way. And I do think that, that ultimately I need to live, um, with the assumption that I have agency, that I'm choosing each and every action that I take and that God continues to sing the song of love over me and invites me to sing along. Um, and I can choose that too. Mm -hmm. And I think I am curious. I know there's different kind of historical um, interpretations, understandings of the way Judas' life ended, but I don't think any of those stories really can tell us the nature of his heart either. I think just because he made a choice to betray Jesus doesn't Jesus doesn't mean that he ended his life 
unforgiven or that he ended his life unloved by God. I don't, I don't think it's fair for us to put those kinds of assumptions. I think he felt great remorse and regret and, and for his action. And, and, you know, who, again, who knows the, the inner workings of a human's heart. I think that was between Judas and God. And I hope and pray that he found peace and that was, you know, God found him and that he found peace in those moments. I do think that this is, and, and this has already gone on for maybe a little longer than we planned for it to faster season. So this is, this has been a great conversation, but I do think this is a great time to loop back around to that first question. Um, because I, I think that I, one of the things that we did this last Sunday with uh, Palm Passion Sunday was we included pieces of the passion in the time of the palms. And I, I, I don't know that we ever, um, explained some of what we were doing. Um, and, and this might be an excellent opportunity to share with anyone listening, like what the idea behind that was just briefly, because I think that um, Jesus in walking into Jerusalem knew that there would be people like Judas. And I, I don't think it's too far to suggest that Judas absolutely believed Jesus to be the Messiah. And, and my read of Judas's actions here is that Judas was trying to force Jesus' hand into beginning the insurrection against Rome. G, uh, Judas was trying to help Jesus usher in a kingdom of peace using the weapons of Rome. And, and it's not like... I think that there were a number of folks in the crowd who were singing Hosanna, who saw a particular type of Messiah coming to them, a Messiah that would um, be sort of their fighter, be someone who would, you know, no holds barred, take care of their battles. And, and God will do that, but not in the way that we want God to all the time. And I think that Jesus I'm sure that there were complicated emotions going through Jesus' heart and mind as he was entering into Jerusalem, both the joy of seeing children shouting Hosanna, saying, if you, these people stop, even the rocks will cry out. But then I think there's also the the realization of like how much these people are so close and they're just missing it and knowing that there will be people like Judas who miss it and Jesus is going to have to die because of that. Um, and, and it's these complicated feelings I know that I have when I approach the palms and the cloaks, knowing that so frequently when I cry out Hosanna, I cried out for the wrong reasons, even as I recognize who Jesus really is. Hmm. I think that's, it also um, it begs for me the question, when we cry Hosanna, like what I think it helps us articulate the question to God, like to, for us, for the question to ourselves and then ask from God, what do we need from God, right? God save us. What is it that we need and how can we proclaim that? How can we name that before God and, and, and then wait for God's answer, right? Yeah. And, and it's that waiting that's so hard. <laughs> It sure is. Yeah. It just is this in this holy week. It's even hard to wait for Thursday and Friday, knowing that it's coming as you alluded to and, um, and wait for the joy that comes Easter morning. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful that you were able to make time to do this. Thank you to the, uh, questioners who, 
uh, verbalized some really good questions this week. We're going to be doing this for one more week uh, next week after Easter. So if you've got any great resurrection questions, uh, I'm really looking forward to those. I am too. I, it's so fascinating. I think it's been really fun to hear all the questions and I'm really looking forward to more next week. So thanks for doing this, Pastor Joel. Back at you. I'm looking forward to sharing this with all y'all uh, next week. Take care.